Good morning. Thank you for uh, coming and joining me here in my shop. It's, uh, it's a little messy in here, but I'm happy to have you join me here for this, uh, this Sunday morning. I've taken a little bit of time to uh, read the book that Jesse has been suggesting, The Deeply Formed Life. Um, many of you know that I'm not a very avid reader. It's one of the things where Jesse and I are, are somewhat different. Um, probably a, a good thing. It's definitely something that I appreciate very much about Jesse and probably also something that makes us a pretty good team together is the fact that we have some significant differences. And uh, he, of course, is the avid reader and he does a great job of it and he does a great job of sharing that with us. Um, but I picked up the book that he suggested that we, that we read and I, I began reading it. And one of the first things that I took note of is um, that it was actually a book written for a guy with an average understanding ability, a guy like me. And um, I got it. It wasn't crazy complicated. It wasn't incredibly difficult to understand. Uh, so if one of the things that you were a little bit scared about when Jesse invited you to join him for this, this book club idea was that Jesse was going to be suggesting a book that was going to be just totally above your heads and you weren't going to be able to comprehend it. Uh, well, let me just take a minute to take that excuse away from you. The Deeply Formed Life is a very understandable book. If, on the other hand, you're trying to convince yourself that uh, you don't actually have time to read this book right now, well, that's probably something you're going to have to take up with our provincial government because, unfortunately, right now you do have time to read this book. If, on the other hand, you're a little bit scared that this book may uh, be a little bit too challenging as far as the truths that are communicated, if you're a little bit afraid that perhaps this book is going to convict you in areas where you don't want to be convicted, it might challenge you in places or in areas where you don't feel like confronting a challenge right now, that may be a valid excuse because uh, I haven't read through the entire book, but I can certainly already vouch for the fact that, that it is challenging. And so if you don't want to explore any deeper, if you don't want to think any deeper or go any deeper in, in your spiritual journey, then, then probably don't read this book because the content of it is challenging. It's not hard to understand, but it's challenging. But at the same time, I found it interesting as much as it was challenging for me, at the same time, as I was reading it, I kind of thought to myself, hmm, this, this is doable. It feels like he is presenting something that would help me go to another level in my spiritual journey, but it would fit. It would fit into my present life. So let that be a little encouragement to you to pick up the book, The Deeply Formed Life. Uh, if you need help getting a copy, I want to encourage you to talk to Jesse. He loves ordering stuff on Amazon and he probably needs a few extra orders in order to justify uh, the Amazon Prime subscription that he has. And so talk to Jesse. He would love to help you get one of these books. 
The first little section that Jesse spoke about was taking the time to be quiet and listen to God, to meditate. The convicting point for me there was not so much in terms of a crazy, busy schedule as it was about the degree to which I am tied to my phone. I'm working on implementing some boundaries for myself that that I think are going to be helpful for me. Last week, Jesse talked about the fact that the deeply formed life has to have an element of self-awareness. I think the, the word or the two words that really spoke to me there were to examine yourself. Take the time to look at yourself and evaluate what is there that you like and what is there that you don't like. Is there stuff that needs to be cleaned up Is there stuff that you're actually kind of afraid of confronting? Is there stuff there that hurts too much to take a good look at? Examine yourself. Become self-aware. Part of the journey into a deeply formed life. Now, it felt to me like both of those first two practices that Jesse was speaking about were quite um, introspective, self-focused. And I have to be honest, the, uh, the doer um, within me struggles with that part of the Christian life journey. Uh, just show me something that I can do, and I'm going to be all over it. It's interesting because in this book, this is what the author says. Our church has sought to regularly wrestle with the tension between monastery and mission. We are not called to remain within cloistered walls, giving ourselves to prayer apart from social engagement with the world. Nor are we called to perpetually and indiscriminately be consumed with being active in the world. We are called to hold this dynamic tension before God. Monastery and mission. I would say the first two sessions have been quite monastery in nature. And thank you, Jesse, for taking us on that journey. Uh, we, we appreciate it. Today, we begin to journey toward or into the other aspect of this tension, which is mission. I love the idea of being on a mission. It has always been a part of me, actually. When I was in high school, I had a couple of other fairly radical friends, and we were on a mission. And we didn't mind letting other people know about the fact that we were not planning to be just normal, mediocre Christians like everyone else. That's where we tended to cross the line from radical to arrogant. I've talked to you about that a few times already as well. So we went. We went to hospitals, room to room, and we witnessed I think that's probably one of the reasons why they brought in rules about privacy. Actually, we were a little more shrewd than that. We volunteered for the library at the Health Science Center. Did any of you know that the Health Science Center has a library? And so we would go there and we would load up some book carts. And then we would take these book carts up and down the hallway at the Health Science Center. It would get us into the ward and we would go room to room and we would ask these people if they wanted to borrow any books from the library. That was our way to get into the rooms and into the wards. And then 
we would tell people about Jesus. We went to the airport. We went to the train station in Winnipeg. We went to parks. I picked up hitchhikers and we would share the message of Jesus. I was on a mission. The deeply formed life requires us to be on a mission. Are you still with me? How many of you are coming with me to the hospital this afternoon to tell people about Jesus? Raise your hands. A little higher. I can't see them. Well, I'm actually not going either. Here's what the author says about being on a mission. Being on a mission doesn't require us to be intrusive, awkward, and coercive. It should be a normal experience. God invites us to consider our personalities, context, and experiences, and out of who we are, out of who we are, discerningly participate in what he is already doing. I like that. Those types of of lines make me feel like this is doable. I can do this. I can be on this kind of a mission. I can join with God in the mission that he is all about. See, God is already building his kingdom. And he is inviting us to come alongside and participate in his mission. As I was thinking about this idea of joining God in his mission, I began to wonder if too often we view God as the one that's that's kind of begging us to come and help him get it done. And we take a look at our calendars and we evaluate what we've all got going on already and how much time we have to spare. And then we volunteer with God's organization to do him a favor, to help him out. I wonder sometimes if it would help us to change the way we think when it comes to being a part of or participating in God's mission. See, God will get it done. God will build his kingdom. The kingdom will prepare, will prevail. Now, do you want to be a part of that kingdom? Would you consider it an honor to be allowed to participate or to be a part of his mission? When I put it like that, you would be crazy to say no. So you are kind of coerced into saying, yes, I've kind of got you in a corner. Because obviously, yes is the right answer. And then you go, but Darren, hang on, hang on. You don't know me. I'm nowhere good enough to be on God's mission, to participate in his mission with him. God, you better go and look somewhere else. Those people over there, they pray more and they are more obedient and they are more regular in church and they come from the right family. God, not me. I don't think I qualify. Friends, if there is one truth that so resonates with my spirit, it is this. You, every one of you, you qualify. God is inviting you to join him in his mission. If there is one thing that God is very clear about in the Bible, he is not looking for perfect people. In fact, the Bible would tell us 
that the perfect people are the only ones that are disqualified from joining his mission. Jesus knows your problems. He knows your addictions. He knows your hang-ups. He knows your failures. And in spite of that, in spite of that, you are invited into his mission. Yes, I know, it's crazy. But that's God. That's Jesus. We need to believe that he wants me to live his mission in the very place where you find yourself every day to be missional in how you live. So what is God's mission? If we are going to join him, what are we signing up for? That's a question I want to ask you. So what is God's mission? It's a question for this morning. It's a question I want to invite you to respond to the way that we have the past few Sundays. I've really enjoyed listening or reading your responses to some of the questions that Jesse has asked. So the question here now is, so what is God's mission? Now, don't be too consumed with trying to come up with a comprehensive, complicated, big answer. Just give us your first few thoughts. What is God's mission? What is the mission that he is inviting you to join in with? Thank you for your responses. I, uh, I love your input. And I'm looking forward to uh, sitting down a little bit later and, and taking a better look at each one of your answers and, uh, and what you wrote, how you answered this question. You know, what is God's mission that he is inviting us to participate in? Let me share with you some of my thoughts and, uh, and some of the thoughts that the writer or the author of this book came up, came up with when, uh, when they tried or he tried and I am trying to answer this question. When Jesus comes into existence or when Jesus is born and he comes into the New Testament, he tells the people what he is all about. In Luke chapter four, he quotes some Old Testament verses from Isaiah chapter 61 and, uh, and he quotes them or he speaks them to the people that are listening in the synagogue in Luke chapter four, verse 18 and 19. And this is what, this is what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What was Jesus doing? He was affirming that he had come to liberate people from their sin, to free people from their guilt and their debt and their crime. See, every 50 years, back in the Old Testament, they celebrated something called the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 25. That year, the land was to lay dormant. Prisoners were to be released and debtors were to be forgiven. It was to be a year of rest from labor, a year of grace, 
in a time to celebrate freedom and deliverance and restoration. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, this is my mission. This is God's mission. Now, I've believed in this mission for a long time. I have read these verses in church at other times. I've preached about them. But I'm going to confess, I often find it very hard to know what living that out actually totally looks like. I often even struggle with knowing how to think about or how to pray about it. This is what God wants. I, I, I get that, but, but what does that mean for the world that I live in? What does that mean for the world that we live in? What does that mean for the wider world out there that we hear about? So many world situations that I don't know enough about in order to have a good opinion. So many situations closer to home that I don't have enough knowledge about to really have a good opinion on. Honestly, I often don't know what to think or how to pray because I don't understand enough. It's kind of in that context or with that frustration that the second line in the Lord's Prayer has become significantly meaningful for me, particularly in the past 10 months, but even kind of beginning already before that. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that is God's mission, bringing his kingdom to earth. We want his kingdom principles, heaven kingdom principles to be at work here on earth. And he invites us to participate in this mission of bringing that about. In this book, The Deeply Formed Life, the author suggests four practices that help that to happen. Let me just quickly speak about each of those briefly. The first one, the first practice that he mentions is, is the practice of hospitality. It's a very universal practice in the Bible. Inviting people unselfishly into your territory. And then when they come into your territory, then you turn around and you serve them while they are in your territory, which is actually not your territory at all if you believe what the Bible teaches about everything that you have being God's. But let's call it that, your territory. It's an interesting concept in some ways, inviting people into your world and then washing their feet when they enter your world. Really, the hospitality thing is captured in many ways in the story where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this past week. What if it was Christianity's goal to wash as many feet as possible? See, hospitality is not just about opening up your homes. It is much more about opening up your hearts. For us in our world and culture, one of the most practical ways that we've been taught to live that out is to invite people into our homes. Let's expand that. Let's, let's think about inviting people into our, into our vehicles, into our yards, onto our patios, into our clubs, onto our teams, or into or onto our river walkway here in Rosenor, or into our church, 
and then finding ways to wash their feet when they enter. Now, speaking about the river walkway here in our community, in our town, um, I, I've been intrigued, I've been amazed, I've been blessed by watching what's been happening there this year. Um, my earlier mention of praying to God that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to be honest, when I see what's happening on the river in Rosenort these past several weeks, it reminds me of lot, a lot of what I believe his kingdom is all about. And actually, when I see what's happening, I'm tempted to think that what's happening down on the river during these past several weeks is actually captures a lot more closely what his kingdom is all about than when we get together in our individual churches of choice on a given Sunday morning. I shared this idea with my dad this past week when I was visiting with him. And he told me a story that he had recently read of the migration out of Russia by the Mennonites. Interesting because there were already many different Mennonite groups back then. And while they were traveling with all their belongings and their horses and their ox carts, they, they, they encountered all kinds of problems. Wheels would break off and harnesses would break and loads would, you know, begin to fall apart and and there was so much work that had to be done. And during the course of the week, while they were traveling, whenever they would encounter problems, um, everybody would be working together and helping each other out with whatever was happening. With any problems that they would encounter, everybody was together and helping each other out all week long. And then come Sunday morning, one group was gathering over there. One group was gathering over there. One group was gathering over there. God's kingdom. Probably what was happening during the week was a lot more accurately reflective of God's kingdom than what was happening on Sunday mornings. And I'm guessing that to some degree that at least is still the truth today. When there is love and friendship and support an encouragement that transcends boundaries, whether that be religious or cultural or socioeconomic or nationality or skin color or languages or political stripes or worship styles or convictions or sins. That is true hospitality. Opening up your hearts to people. In Matthew chapter 9, you're going to see Jesus and his tax collector friends sitting and eating together. That was Jesus showing hospitality. He had a way of welcoming people into his heart. Someone said hospitality is a posture of welcome. When your spirit and body language and face and voice all together in unison say, you belong here. It is good to have you here. The reason we are hospitable, says this author, is to open our hearts to others in the way that God has opened his heart to us. Hospitality mirrors the God who welcomes and receives all. His mission. The second practice of hospitality, sorry, the second practice of mission that he mentions 
in this book is to promote justice. Now, honestly, you hear so much of social justice nowadays that I'm afraid, like me, you're totally sick of it and you will be tempted to tune me out when I speak this or when I say this. So let me just say quick before you tune me out that I'm struggling with this as much as you are. Not because I don't believe in social justice. I absolutely believe in true social justice. The reason I am sick of it is because I'm not convinced that most of the people that rant about it have a good grasp of what that actually means. And so let me simply encourage you on a couple of levels. Number one, don't let the radical, ignorant social justice ranters deter you from believing in and promoting true social justice. Don't let that ranting steer you away from believing that at the core of who Jesus was, a significant part of his mission was social justice. And if you read this little section in Luke chapter 4, the verses that we read earlier, you're going to see it. Social justice. The book suggests justice is an act of joining God in seeing that the created order, people and everything else, receives what it is due. That's what Luke chapter 4 talks about. It's interesting when you stop and take an objective look, it seems like justice is actually something that is born into almost all of us. I would like to say it's the, it's the image of God in us. When we watch movies and there's, there's a villain or, or an abuser, somebody who's, who's treating others unjustly, and, the, and then there's the underdog, um, we all cheer for the underdog. We want justice. One of the first phrases that many children learn is something along the lines of, that's not fair. They often don't know exactly how and when to use that line, and, and they lack the objectivity, not unlike many adults, to use that line appropriately based on the, on the big picture truth. But they use it because there is something inside of us that wants justice, that wants people to experience fairness. A study was done with three and five-year-old children, and they watched the faces and the reactions of these children when they were watching puppets. And there was one puppet that was treating the other one unfairly and was taking things away from the other puppet. And almost all the children visibly expressed shock or dismay at the fact that this one puppet was being treated unfairly. Almost all the children were just as dismayed at this puppet being treated unfairly as if they themselves were being treated unfairly. Justice is at the heart of God. And, and if we will be on a mission to serve in his kingdom, we will be on a mission to treat people fairly, to give people what God would say is do them. And friends, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be complicated. I think I've said this before, but I would suggest that you simply start by treating everyone equally. I think we've looked at social justice, activism, past and present, and we've kind of disqualified ourselves from that. I don't want to be like those people. Besides, I don't have that kind of a platform. 
I'm not an extrovert. All kinds of excuses or reasons why we don't want to do that or be like that. And I get that. I'm like that too. Just treat everyone equally. Just treat everyone like a friend. Start by saying hi to everyone. Nod and smile at everyone. Not just those with a similar background to you. Not just those in your economic bracket. Not just those from your church or even from your town. Not even just those who, whom you know. Everyone. Just treat people equally. And in the meantime, keep praying. God, would you please let me join your mission of bringing your kingdom to earth? Would you please give me an opportunity to promote justice? Giving people what you would say is do them. Practice hospitality. Practice justice. The third practice that our author suggests is, is significant and very important if we are going to be joining in God's mission, if we are going to be missional in the way that we live, is we're going to need to believe and practice that my normal world, your normal world, whatever that is for you, your home, your workplace, your team, your community, your family, your city, your normal world is the place to which God has called you or commissioned you to carry out his mission. In general, we keep on struggling with truly believing this. Um, there is kind of that world, you know, that world where we do missions. In church, we do missions. At Union Gospel Mission, we do missions. Or when you go to YWAM, we do missions. Or other short-term missions, we do missions somewhere out there. But we struggle with believing that this, here and now, where I am, this is where God wants me to be missional. This here is where he is asking or inviting me to participate in his mission. This leads us into the problem that I identified, this way of thinking leads us into the problem that I identified at the beginning. We view God as, as begging us to stop what we are doing here in our world and then come over there into his world and join him in his mission in his world. And, and then we wonder if, if we will have time for that after we are finished with all that is required for me to do here in my life, my job, taking care of my family, doing a few holidays. And then is there going to be time for me to volunteer in his mission? Colossians chapter 3 has a nice little section about that. Doing all your work as to the Lord. Whatever your hands find to do, we've talked about that before already also. You are on a mission. You are in a mission. And your normal world is where you are called to be on that mission. Foreign missions is fantastic. But it is no more godly or spiritual to minister or reach out cross-culturally on the other side of the world than it is to reach out cross-culturally to your co-workers at Westfield. It is no more godly to minister to the homeless in the Philippines or anywhere else than it is to minister to the homeless in Winnipeg. 
It is no more God's mission to feed the hungry in Africa than it is to feed the hungry in Morris. It is no more important to stand up for the oppressed in the inner city of Philadelphia as it is to stand up for a bullied classmate in your high school. God's mission commissions you to be on a mission in your world, in your workplace, in your school, in your community, in your city, in your shop. Practice hospitality. Practice justice. Practice work as mission. Let's call it that. The fourth practice of mission mentioned here, and we're going to conclude with this one, is announcing the gospel. It used to be called witnessing or, or testifying. Call it whatever you want. The Bible is pretty clear that there is a time when we need to speak. And this is not just the job of pastors and missionaries and teachers and evangelists. This is actually part and parcel for every follower of Jesus who wants to live a deeply formed life, who wants to join in God's mission. As a part of that, you speak up. You share what you believe and why you believe it. How I do that has changed dramatically over the years. I no longer go to the airport or to the train station or to hospitals and do cold turkey witnessing. I still occasionally pick up a hitchhiker. Sometimes I share my faith with him and sometimes I give him a chance to share his faith with me. A big part of that change happened to me while I was roofing for a living, working with a variety of hardened, curse-spewing guys that I learned to love and admire. I actually came to see that it is much harder to share your faith journey with guys like this than with someone at the airport. Because I have to meet them again tomorrow and the next day. See, when you do cold turkey witnessing, you can say whatever you want. The guy has never seen you before and he'll never see you again. You can walk away. You can dust off your hands. You've done your job. At least his guilt will not be riding on my shoulders. I told him, so now it's up to him. When you live with people and you share your faith with them on a piecemeal basis, your lifestyle has to back up what you're saying. And you have to do it in a way that is not going to break the friendship because you actually like the guy and you actually want to enjoy working together again tomorrow. But I believe it is so much more like Jesus. There's a time to speak up. The deeply formed life requires you to be missional. God is inviting you to join in with what he is already doing. He has commissioned you to do that. In your hog barn, in your school, at the credit union, on the rooftop, in your office, 
on the construction site, or in your home. Missional. The deeply formed life invites us to be missional. Practice hospitality. Practice justice. Practice work as mission. And practice speaking. Amen.